0: it's a deep cover podcast coming at you with the old school intro I think I like that one better actually even than the new one I don't know why there's something about that one that I just like it's just got a smooth vibe to it anyway hey uh we're back we're here to talk Ravens you know unfortunately uh we're talking after a loss. Um, like I tweeted a couple of weeks ago, it's always more fun to podcast after a win. Not that it's not fun. It's it's always fun to talk to Chris and Kerry no matter what. But, you know, the, the, the mood is just a little bit different after a loss. But that's all good. I mean, it's all part of it. So we're going to talk about the Browns' loss, uh, talk about some other things going on with the team in terms of injuries and stuff like that. You've probably heard some of that news, so we'll hit on some of that. And then uh, Kerry's got an interesting topic he just hit us with before we we started recording that I think is going to be a pretty interesting discussion, too. So we'll get to all of that. But I got to touch base with the fellas. See how everybody's doing. Start with you, Kerry, man. What's been going on? How you doing?
1: Uh, I'm not feeling very bankroll fresh. I will say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Ravens, they they walked in that trap, but uh, mm-hmm. they did not <laughs> take <it> over <laughs> take over said trap.
0: At all? No, you're right. That kind of came back to bite me, didn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Because that was the official theme song of getting a road win in the AFC North, and we were not able to play it after that Browns game. Unfortunately, they probably were playing it because I mean they were at home, but they probably played it anyway. Chris how about you man how you doing
2: I'm doing well man glad to you know get this therapy with with you guys because I always feel better after we you know we, we talk after a loss
0: yeah this is the virtual red table talk <laughs> we sit around the table yeah, man. and you know we're real we're vulnerable in this space <laughs> 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 but the good thing is nobody will you know Nobody will get slapped. There won't be any physical altercations here. Mm-hmm. There could be some singing. I can't promise there <laughs> won't be bad singing. That could happen. Um, it just depends. But <laughs> let's start right there with the Browns loss. Uh, a tough one for sure. When your defense holds a team to 13 points, you like to feel that, you know, you got an opportunity to, to maybe come away with a win. Um particularly if you're the Ravens, you know, you, you feel like you, even without Lamar, you feel like, you know, you, you've got the run game and you can do some things at the tight end position. So you feel like you can probably put up some points and come away with the win. If your defense holds the other team down like that, unfortunately that that's about the opposite of how it wins. Unfortunately, um, you know, obviously you had, you know, the missed field goal and the block field goal. You got to factor that in, but, um, you know, the offense had some opportunities and a couple red zone possessions and just weren't able to punch it in. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit of a broken record with that. I know we've kind of been saying that over the last couple of games, having these red zone opportunities, coming away with three instead of seven. Um, you know, it's a bummer for sure. But for me, uh, before I, I, we go around, I, I actually came away after I watched uh, the All-22 I don't know, man. I just I wasn't as down after I watched it because I was like, okay, I see what they were trying. to. And this is what happens a lot of time when you watch those angles. You kind of get a better feel for what they were trying to do. And, you know, then you're kind of like, all right, well, if that was, you know, what what they were attempting and it didn't work for this reason or that reason, it doesn't you don't come away feeling as bad about it because you're like, all right, well, that kind of that kind of makes sense. I kind of see why they were trying to do that. And, you know, you can really kind of get a better understanding of, OK, well, you know, this guy lost his block and there was some quick pressure. And so Huntley had to move or do this or, you know, this is a good route design, you know, good route concept. And this guy actually wins on his route. But Huntley doesn't seem, you know, you you can still feel bad about that, I guess. <laughs> Where you're like, oh, you probably should have should have made some of these plays. But for me, I, I just come away like, OK, as long as I feel like I can understand what you were trying to do and then see that there might've been some execution issues that prevented that from happening. I don't typically feel as bad about it. And then I guess just in general, you know, I'm a, I'm a glass half full kind of person in general. So I'm just looking at it like, okay, that sucked that they weren't able to win that game, but you got three games left with a chance to win the division. So I'm like, let's go, you know, I'm not going to get all wrapped up in the other stuff. I'm just like, you got three games left. And an opportunity to win this division, it's time to go. Okay, it's, it's you in a race right now. It's time to get it. So I come away a little bit different, probably than than a lot of people um, from it. But Kerry, I'll I'll come to you next just to get your feel on general thoughts from the game and uh, you know how how you you felt about it afterwards.
1: Yeah, like you say, man. Once you go back and watch the All Twenty Two, is never as bad as you think it is, you know, live. Um, And I think that's something that you've always pointed out. You know, it's never as bad as you think it is, never as good as you think it is. You know, it's it's always, you know, that balance there. Um, But watching it, you know, I watch more of the offense, just trying to get a feel for what the disconnects were. Um, You know, obviously you only scored three points. Like there's issues there. So looking at it, and I just – Come away with the same kind of takeaways that I usually always have, like watching this run game, watching the 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 plays that are called it's kinda of like like watching a um n one mixtape like just fire run after fire run like it, it, he's able to put some stuff together in the run game that is you know. Pretty impressive, you can tell like the um the I'm trying to see how I want to go about this the 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 thoughtfulness of it, you know the uh, accounting for certain things, the adjustments that are made. you see all of that within the run game, and I just wish it carried over to the passing game. I wish it married in a better fashion. Because maybe, like, the first play, um, the very first play of of the game was, like, condensed set. You know, you got Oliver in there. You got Ricard in there. It's play-action pass, uh, you know, a bunch of really shallow routes. And it's, like, it's almost like, what your attempt was, like I, I can, I can see, I can see the thought process behind it. But even the thought process, if it works to its high degree, is that even good enough? <laughs> when you're talking about you, you're targeting somebody that's not really going to give you that much of an advantage to begin with. So it's kind of like some of those, some of those plays and some of those situations and some of those formations. It's kind of like. Yeah, I see what you're trying to do, but it's almost like, what's the point if the outcome, if the high end outcome, is so limited, and so that can be a bit frustrating. You know, you still see some of the same things with, um, you know, just a lot of bunched up routes at times. Now there were other times where guys, I, I felt like, got open and 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 Huntley just kind of broke down a little too quickly. So it couldn't kind of get to that read. There were other times where I think things came open where if the protection just holds up a beat longer, maybe you see a couple plays um, downfield. But it's just still too much of that um, just disconnect in the passing game for me. Like I, I think about the 49ers and what they're doing right now with Brock um, Purdy. And, you know, it's not anything where he's not setting the world on fire. But when you watch them play, the ring game and the passing game is married. There's a cohesion there that, you know, you can clearly see what they're trying to accomplish. Um, they're not asking receivers to win in isolation. Especially when you're talking about the group of receivers that the Ravens have with the injuries and with, you know, some of the things that happened, you know, as far as maybe not addressing it to the full extent in the offseason and some developmental stuff, which we'll get into, Um, you know, San Francisco, they're not asking their guys to do that, Um, but there is a plan in place. There's adjustments that are made when you go from one quarterback to another quarterback and now they're going to the third quarterback. And the offense is still a functional offense. Um and it's just one of those things where it's like any given Sunday in the NFL, if you can hold a team to 13 points, you're fortunate. It's too much talent in this league. There's too many great bright offensive of minds in this league to gloss over holding any offense to 13 points. And so when you do that, you need to have a cohesive enough offense to win that game. And so that's disappointing from that standpoint. Um, but again, when I looked at, when I went back and looked at it, uh, it wasn't as bad as, you know, what it felt like um, live. Um, but again, it's just some things, there's some, just some disconnects there that, that have to get cleaned up, um, you know, going forward.
0: That's a good comp with San Francisco because I think it's like looking at two opposite ends of a spectrum. Like with their passing game, it's so much more about the system that makes it good. Like you can put, insert quarterback name, Garoppolo, Purdy, Lance. I mean, you can go back all throughout. Matt Ryan, I mean, go, go wherever he's been, right? And it's so much about the system. Now, the individual guy can elevate the system, you know, based on his unique skill set, but the system is what generally makes that passing game good. Whereas with Greg Roman, aside from a handful of concepts, I think he's got th- maybe three to four things that I'm like, okay, that's good stuff. That's what gets guys open, the design. Aside from those three or four concepts, it's been so much more about Lamar making the passing game good. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's what makes it good as opposed to the system making it good. <laughs> so, uh, and so when he's not there, obviously there's, there's going to be some drop off uh, there if that's, you know, kind of how it's built. It's built around the quarterback having to make it good as opposed to the, the system, the scheme itself making it good. So, you know, we talked about this a little bit maybe a couple of shows ago where I'm like, hey, you've got those, those core, you know, maybe three to four concepts that really are kind of good. Just keep running those. Literally don't run anything else. Stop running all the other stuff <laughs> <laughs> and just run those three and four. <laughs> you can get to them a bunch of different ways, and they do it. People, people probably know what they are without even me getting, like, all super nerdy and trying to use, like, the terminology, right? The little sale concept where they got a wide receiver running deep, And then a tight end, Julie Andrews, coming underneath that, breaking out. And then a little guy in the flat, shallow, underneath where Andrews is. So it's kind of like a three-level kind of thing. They run that really well. And they typically get somebody open on that all the time. All right, so let's keep running that. The other thing where you got the two vertical routes, it's like two double posts, and then a little deep over coming underneath the post. They run that very well. Let's keep running that. Uh, and we can get to it in a bunch of different ways. And then, of course, four verticals, because I think Lamar just throws those inside seams really well. Let's just run that. We can get to that a whole bunch of different ways. So there's like three or four things that I think they do really well where the design of those things is what gets people open. And then Lamar can, of course, elevate that because he can do things to extend plays and get coverage and people to react to him that open different things up. So I think they can do it, but he likes to get cute. I mean, I think that's just the bottom line. He likes to get cute. Uh, my co-host on the Fire Zone, Denar Melton, always says he's got to be the smartest guy in the room talking about great roles. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that can get you in some trouble uh, if, if if that's your approach and that you got to just be, you know, a little too cute with it. And you know, hey, we're we're gonna really scheme this up, right? Nobody's gonna see this coming. And sometimes it looks good, right? Like that little shovel pass, to Justice Hill third and long. Okay, hey, I like that. I like that. Nobody did see that coming. Normally. You kind of see that shovel pass with, like, the Chiefs. They're down on the goal line real tight in there. Man, we're going to do this from third and long. It worked out. But then, like some of the other stuff that you were talking about, the kind of condensed formations, yeah, you're running play action. So you're showing run with the formation and everything, but then you're going to run play action. So I get it. Like you said, I get it. Conceptually, I get what you're trying to do. But what's the ceiling of that, even if it works? If guys are running, like, little, you know, 10-yard curls. I mean, if you're just saying, hey, we're just trying to get, like, a little 8 to 10-yard play on first down, all right, I I guess I get that too. Um, But, like, don't you want to have something baked into that where there's an opportunity for more, right? If that's the only thing that we can do, okay, it's first down. That'd be a nice gain on first down for sure. But I know – uh, JT O'Sullivan talks about this all the time. He always wants at least one route that's running towards the end zone. <laughs> like the goal <laughs> is to <the> score. <laughs> so on a pass play, I always, preferably I like all the routes going towards the end zone, but I always want at least one that's going towards the end zone. All these little, like, you know, sit down curls and, you know, little shallow crosses and then stop, hook it up when you get to a certain point. And he's like, okay, that's fine. And well, cause I get it's attacking zone and, and trying to do things like that. But, if the goal is to score you want something going towards the end zone and you know sometimes they don't have that on some of their concepts and it's just like all right if the goal is to get like five to seven yards I mean that's like a different NFL right we're not really playing offense anymore in today's (laughs) NFL that way that's like the 80s you know we're kind of playing offense that way we're really trying to do it that way anymore I mean you can but you're probably not going to compete with you know some of the higher powered offenses if if that's you know how you're trying to go about it. Um Chris, let me come to you, get your thoughts on this game because I know that uh this was another frustrating one uh for you to kind of just have to sit and watch the uh ineptitude uh on offense at times.
2: Yeah, I mean, it just uh, it felt like it was a wasted opportunity of a, pro- probably one of the best uh run blocking games that we've seen from this offensive line like just as a whole group like the yeah. the, the way that they performed up front it was beautiful and it, it was it, it kind of looked like 2019 Ravens mm-hmm. the way that they were dominating and, and whooping the Browns defensive line and their front seven and to rush for almost 200 yards and not walk away with one touchdown that was just like that's super frustrating uh you see jk running still not even to his full potential and just you know ripping off these long runs and then you see gus coming in too ripping off long runs and it's like where why why did that like why wasn't that the the focal point you know as you're trying to mount this comeback you know as the game goes on later and later you would think you know, let's keep pounding this rock, you know, where they're getting tired, they lost Clowney, you know, let, let's let lean on them. And, you know, for whatever reason, you know, Greg decided, you know, he wanted to start, you know, throwing the ball. And, uh, you know, that's fine if you, you know, you have a, a, your starter in there. But, you know, like people always say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And they were not able to stop the run. So keep pounding that thing. And and don't take, you know, the two the two lead backs who are, are hot the whole game. It's not like, oh, you know, J.K. was hot at this point. Gus was hot at this point. No, they were both running hot. And for whatever reason, for a whole series, you decide to keep both of them on the bench and bring Justice Hill in. That just, it, it didn't make sense. And, and I think you used the right word. When you said it, Mike, where he's trying to get too cute, you know that that's cute. Putting Justice Hill in—I love Justice Hill. Yeah, but in that game, in that spot, with the way J.K. and Gus are running it, Jake uh, Justice Hill—he could chill on the bench. <laughs> get, get ready for the kick return. Yeah. Let these two guys keep eating, especially in that and you know during crunch time when you're trying to come back. And that was the, the most frustrating part of the game for me. And um, and I also want to hit on the um, the Patrick Ricard play, the fourth and one play. <laughs> the safety did not stand him up. He got hit by Deion Jones and the safety. Hmm. It was two dudes. Because I see people say, oh, you know, the fullback got stood up by a little safety. He got hit by both dudes, Deion Jones and... Um, 43. I forget his name. The dude that hey, was on the Rams. Johnson. Yes. Johnson. Yeah, John Johnson. Um, Yeah. They both hit him. So that's why he got stonewalled. Not making an excuse for him, but it wasn't a little safety that stonewalled him. Um, but yeah, I mean, even in that situation, like I, I understand, you know, while Gus was out, if you use Ricard in that situation. But to me, when you have Gus, that's him all day. Yep. You know, That's, that's Gus. Gus doesn't go backwards. Nope. Gus is, (laughs) Gus is always falling forward. And to me that in that spot, you get too cute where you give it to Ricard. It's like, no, just, you know, bread and butter, meat and potatoes. Like, you know, I understand a fullback is, you know, a meat and potatoes kind of guy, but let him block, let Gus do what he does. And it just, like you said, Mike, it was just trying to be too cute. And, uh, it it was, it was a frustrating one, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, I think that's just the theme at times when they struggle on offense and it's it it it's about some of the calls. You know, sometimes it's about the players. I mean, we gotta be real about that. You know, sometimes it's it's players not executing, yeah. but when it's about the calls, that's kind of the theme where it's like you're just you're outsmarting yourself. You're not outsmarting the defense, you're outsmarting yourself mm-hmm. with some of these calls. And You know, Kerry mentioned it, and I heard Nate Tice earlier in the season when he was on Robert Mays talk about this too when he kind of did a little study of the Ravens offense. He's just like, you can look at it, and it all makes sense, right? Okay, four from one, short yardage. I got a 300-pound fullback, little fullback dive, quick hitter. That's how we're going to pick up the first down, right? 300-pound fullback. It makes sense, right? Some of these pass plays, okay, we're going to, you know, like Kerry said – our, our big personnel, condensed formation, everything looks like run, play action, throw a little curl, right? First down, get, get a drive starter, get a you know, play start. It, it all makes sense. But then it's just like, yeah, it makes sense, but it's, it's just, it could be better. <laughs> you know what I mean? It could just, just be better. And as a Nate was trying to describe it. He was just like, I, I, can, I can see it. I can see what he's trying to do. But then it's just like, but it could be better than that. It's like you're, you know, you're not ambitious enough. Okay, that, that's okay, but it could be better, right? You've got the kind of personnel where it could be better. Like Chris was just saying, you got you also yeah, you got a three hundred pound fullback, but he's not a guy who carries the ball a whole lot. You got a two hundred forty pound runback who does carry the ball a lot and carries it well, particularly in short yardage situations. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we should give it to him. This is an idea. He, he's on the field. For that play, maybe we should give a deal. Uh, you know, some of these pass plays, you know, like Kerry was talking about, like, okay, if we want to do all of that run, look, run action, okay, maybe have one of our faster guys on a route going towards the end zone or on a route running away from a defender instead of running at a guy and then curling back to the quarterback. Right. Yeah, I get it. But be more ambitious. Right. Let's have higher goals. Yeah. what we want to accomplish out of some of these plays. <laughs>
2: and and sometimes the cuteness works. You yeah, know, sometimes. Like, like the, the pitch yeah. to Justice Hill and that that third and, and long. That was that was a beautiful play call. Yeah. But that like that's more of an appropriate time to get cute or, or take that little chance. Yeah. You know, there's there's sometimes where you just gotta buckle your chin strap up and all right, look, you know what we're gonna do, just like in the in the Pittsburgh game. You know which way we're going. You know what we're going to run. Stop we're going it. to do it anyway. Yeah, stop it. And it seemed like he got away from that in, in yeah. the Cleveland game.
0: Yeah, like you said, that, that's a perfect example. That's kind of a great example for this, this discussion. The Justice Hill play, yeah, it's third and 14. Of course, nobody's expecting that on third and 14. <laughs> People are expecting you to drop back and throw the ball, or maybe you're going to throw a screen or run a draw. But, you know, the shovel pass, which effectively kind of is like a draw um, in a way. But, you know, it, just, it looks different. So, yeah, that's one of those situations where it's like, okay, that's that, – I get that. I get that sort of if you want to call that outsmarting or, like you said, trying to be cute. I get it in that situation because, to me, you're, you're, you're saying, hey, I don't really feel confident that we can call a drop back pass and get 14 yards on this play. I, that's why you call that play. Right. That's why you call the show. I'm not real confident we can do that. So if you're going to concede that and then it works, then it's like, okay, I get that. Right. I get I get why. That kind of cuteness, like you said, works, but those other situations, you said that fourth and one, that's not the time to be cute. You know, what I mean, now he's done that again. We we can talk about that. Right. A little tight. Andrews comes under center, the pitch to Lamar, and that's the problem. That is the problem with him. It's like I used to tell y'all when my son was was playing AAU basketball. If he comes down and he hits a deep three, that's like the worst thing that could happen in the game. (laughs) Like in the very beginning of the game. If he hits that shot early, then it is going up all night long because the cuteness worked. (laughs) It came down. I'm on the logo. You see how wet that was? Oh, it's all night, baby. All <laughs> night. And then it's not all night because that is generally not a good shot. <laughs> so uh, it's the same thing with like Greg Roman, man. He hits that deep three and it's like, he got the hand up. <laughs> he posing right. on it. It's like, Oh, all night, baby. And then he keeps going to it at various times. And it's like, Greg, that's, you know what I'm saying? That was not a good shot. Okay. Got lucky. I'm glad it went in, but that was not a good shot. So maybe that's a good analogy. We need Greg to take good shots, you know, as a play caller. We need him to take good shots, right? Don't, don't, <laughs> some of these shots that he's taking, they're questionable, right? Let's come down. Let's get somebody a good look. <laughs> we don't have to do some of these things that we're doing. There's a time and a place for it. Don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place for it. But he seems to have a difficult time with kind of honing that in when is the appropriate time and when is the appropriate place for it's kind of like i'm just gonna do it when i feel like doing it or again it's that you know outsmarting okay they're never gonna see this coming they are not gonna expect me to do this in that situation don't worry so much about what they expect do what you do Mm -hmm.
1: do what the team does well and sometimes it's a good reason that they don't expect it because it's the wrong damn decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: That's why it's not a surprise because everybody's like, this is garbage. Why is it? Why would he, why would he, why didn't he hand it off to this 240 pound dude who's been ripping off 10, 15 yard runs? So yeah, I don't know, man. Some of it is just like, it's almost like other parts of the game where you just have to live with certain kinds of decision-making. I mean, it I think it's the same way with play callers. Sometimes, sometimes you just got to live with some of the decisions that they make, and that's okay though when it doesn't become like a prevalent thing, like something that, that happens consistently in you know throughout games and over the course of games. It's going to happen, you know. There's sometimes, look, the defense is out there; they get paid too, and the play the players and the play caller over there, you know, they they make money too. So sometimes they're just going to get the better of you on a play call, but I don't know. I think we all feel like the way things were clicking for the run game in that particular game, like there was probably some opportunities, um, that they left out there. You know, Chris talked about that drive with justice Hill. And like I said, I, I, I would tell anybody that is a very fair drive to criticize. Um, The stuff that people were saying just more in general, though, about how they only ran the ball one time in the fourth quarter, I'm like, well, there's really only one possession. It's that possession that Chris brought up. And like I said, that is totally fair because it was like 10, 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter. You're down by 10. You're running the ball well. You could definitely call runs on that, right? The possession after that, there's only four minutes, roughly four minutes and some change left. You're down by 10. You're probably not running the ball in that situation. And the possession before that, actually started at the end of the third quarter and you got two plays into the fourth quarter. One of those plays was a run. The only run in the fourth quarter that run to Gus and the other play was a third and six to Mark Andrews. That was incomplete. So you really had those three possessions in the fourth quarter. One of them that actually started in the third quarter. It was only two plays into the fourth. One was a run. The other one was, I don't know, a five or six play because no runs. That's the one that I think is very valid to criticize. And then the, the last one was, like I said, four minutes left down 10 you're going to drop back and throw the ball in that situation. So it can look like, okay, they had all these opportunities to run the ball in the fourth quarter and they didn't, it was that one possession. Now, that doesn't make it any better because that was a very critical possession. You go and get seven on that possession. Now you're down three. Um, you know, that, that probably you know, has things looking a lot different as that game continues to play out. So I want to downplay it by saying, well, it was only one possession where he didn't call a run. It was a very important possession. But it wasn't like he had three possessions where he could have called the run and he just chose not to call the run. It was, it was that one. But that one um, could have made a difference in the game. So I don't want to let him off the hook for that because that was kind of a, a head scratcher. He tried to explain it a little bit today <laughs> at his media availability, and I still don't know that I can, I can really get <laughs> behind that because it was something like, well, there's a point in the game when you're down like that where you got to decide when you're kind of going to go into that mode. And maybe I could have gone into it later, but I decided to go into it right then. But I probably should have done it later. It's easy to say that on a Monday. We get it. Everything is easier with hindsight. Um, But I can't imagine there weren't players, other coaches, you know, at that point in the game, kind of looking at each other and scratching their heads like, well, what are we doing here? Why, why do we stop running the ball in this possession? You know what I mean? It can't be like nobody else was thinking that and possibly even suggesting <laughs> maybe we should continue to run the ball. Uh, but it is what it is. And you hope that the same way that players go through different things and learn from different things in games, you hope coaches can too. You would say, okay, he's been doing this a long time. he should know better by now, but people are always growing. You know, they say when you're green, you grow. When you're, <laughs> what is it? When you're, when you're ripe, you're right. Uh, mm-hmm. So you're always yeah. still growing and uh, hopefully that never stops. Hopefully you don't get to the point where it's always about like, well, you should know better. Okay. Well, now you're right. And you're not growing anymore. If you should always, if the answer is you should always know better. Hopefully he's always continuing to grow and maybe he'll take that from, from this game that when the run game is cooking like that, you know, don't, don't let the team, don't let the defense off the hook by going away from it. Um, We didn't talk a lot, a whole lot about the defense, Uh I guess I did that on the other show with Denar, but I thought they played very solidly. Once again, you know, they had a couple of plays here and there. Um, they had that one drive really. And uh, where they scored a touchdown and it was almost a drive that didn't happen. Uh, Cause you know, Justin Houston, I don't know if it was a sack. I think Watson had maybe gotten past the line of scrimmage. It was maybe going to get a yard or two, but he was going to be short on third down and they were going to be stopped. And uh, he got called for uh a face mask, and it was a face mask. He got he did get his hand up high. Um, uh, but then they they proceed to you know hit a couple of plays, a couple of runs, a couple of passes, and they ended up getting a touchdown there at the end. Um, Patrick Queen kind of gets out of position a little bit on uh DPJ, but other than that, it was a pretty solid performance, you know, from them as usual. Um, as we've seen as of late, and you know, I think that's still something to be optimistic about, that this defense is still playing at a pretty high level, especially, you know, when you look back at how things started at the beginning of this year. And, you know, it was shaky in some spots. But, um, you know, Denar and I were making the comparison of, like, uh, you know, being in a relationship. And he's like, you know, with the defense, the kind of person who said, all right, we're going we're gonna to sit down together. We're going to be real honest. We're going to put all of our issues out on the table, and we're going to work them out. Where he said the offense is a little bit more like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be passive aggressive, we're gonna lie about certain things, we're gonna be like sneak tweeting people. I mean, sweet sneak texting people. <laughs> they they got a little bit more drama on the offensive side. They haven't really worked it out in their relationship the way that the defense has worked it out. <laughs> so hopefully, uh, you know, he might be a little anti offense just in general. I think because it was interesting that uh, he saw it that way. But um, you know, hopefully they'll they'll get their uh, they'll get their stuff worked out the way the defense got it worked out. But did you guys? Either one of you guys want to say anything about the defense? Because you know, again, it's pretty solid performance from them.
1: Yeah, I think. um, I mean, I, I feel like you know, between what you just said and and you know, you and Denard breaking it down, I think you guys kind of really you know succinctly hit on the defense. What's so interesting about the defense is it's a veteran latent defense, but it's got a lot of young talent in it. And there's a young talent that is calling the defense. So these are all players that are and and a coordinator um, that are gonna continue to grow and learn as this thing goes forward. And you know, one thing about young defenders, especially talented ones they're going to raise the ceiling of your team. And so, you know, the more experience we can get for um, even the young guys that are playing, Queen and Owe and like these guys aren't finished products by any means. You know, they, every game they're going to be seeing something that they haven't seen before because they're that young in their career. So, you know, they're going to continue to learn, grow, and so we're going to get better versions of them going forward. Uh, you know, David Ajabo, a talented guy that, you know, as this thing goes forward, I'd imagine he won't get a ton of snaps, but he'll get more um, than the one that he got. And, and I think, you know, he's a guy that, you know, can sneakily help. And, you know, he might be a, a wild card in a game going forward where he gets a couple pressures and, and makes some things happen. So, you know, it, it's just exciting to have a group that's really grounded in the shape but they're also still learning so there's a uh you know upward trajectory with this uh, with this defense in that way
0: I'm glad you mentioned Ajabo Chris I was going to ask you are you ready to label Ajabo a bust because he didn't get a strip sack on his one and only snap <laughs>
2: you know? Um I was ready to call him a bust once they drafted him <laughs> <laughs> He did have that one snap though on the third down the long third down He and, did
0: uh, he did people people were uh, a little disappointed that uh, you know, like I said, there wasn't a sack or a strip sack or an interception. They needed something from him on that one snap, and he didn't. He didn't give them what they
2: needed, and so people were were pretty hard on uh <laughs> on David. <laughs> hey, hey, look. If people can assess uh, Kyle Hamilton as a bust by week three, then hey, that's more than fair.
0: Yeah, same energy. Same energy for sure. So, <laughs> hey, I was just excited that the guy, you know, was able to get healthy and get to the point where he actually could play in a game yeah. uh, this year. So, you know, I think, like Kerry said, it's it's going to be tough to get a ton of snaps because of how healthy their outside linebacker group is right now. But I think that they'll probably try to work him in a little bit more, you know, each each game. And, um, you know, because even Harbaugh, said that you know eh, one snap you know we're probably hoping to get him more like three or four or four or five but it just didn't just didn't plan out you know it didn't pan out that way so i think you know he, he's going to get a few more opportunities and it's just you know another young defender like gary said another young guy um who can get out there and learn get his feet wet and um you know kind of start on his journey and, and into what his career is going to be so it's exciting uh some of the the guys that they got over there um Speaking of the veteran part of that, Kerry, I guess this is a, kind of a natural transition. A couple of veterans are dinged up coming out of this game. Calais Campbell, Marcus Peters. I don't think either guy uh, practiced today. Uh, you know, we'll see. Well, I don't, they, they're playing on Saturday, so they had they, their first practice was Tuesday. So I don't think either guy practiced Tuesday or today. Um, it's Probably not looking real good uh, for, for those guys to play. Even though Peters, you know, he's had those vet days throughout this year where, you know, maybe he only practiced one day this week and then he goes in the game. Now, you know, that was not injury related. That was kind of them just kind of monitoring him and, and having an individual plan for him. So maybe, maybe the injury changes it. But if those guys don't go, um, going into this Falcons game, I'll start with you on this, carry. Uh, do you have some concerns about the guys who are going to be stepping in, um, trying to take take over their roles
1: yeah i mean on the defensive line not so much and i think there's enough quality depth there and some things that they can do uh to kind of just platoon that that um campbell position i think you guys pointed it out you know you can throw a couple snap more snaps travis jones's way you know brent urban um you know use jpp um more in that role, and I think you can get by because I think a lot of these guys on that front have played really well in the snaps that they've gotten. Um, in the secondary, not so much at corner because, you know, you're just running out of bodies, honestly. You know, it just comes down to that. Um, now, there's some talented guys out there that I think can can handle the job. You know, Kyle Hamilton, you've I been mean, using him more as a slide. Um, you know, that, that actually kind of works pretty well this week considering who they're facing and, and how um, the Falcons, uh, as you pointed out, how they kind of deployed uh, Drake London, um, you know, that size, being able to that size for size in that way, that makes some sense. Uh, but then, you know, then you have inexperience on the boundary. And, you know, if there's been one bugaboo of this defense as they continue to improve, is that you know they've given up some big plays down the field um and so that's something they they have to be able to 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 kind of clean up, and so you don't feel better about them being able to clean it up with injuries uh, you know at the corner position so that's something i'm um, I'm looking at and monitoring, but I guess maybe I shouldn't be as concerned because the Falcons only want to throw it like nine times a game so <laughs> <laughs> there may not be much to worry about there.
0: That's kind of the one silver lining to this is, is the matchup. And you're thinking, okay, it's never great to lose a starting cornerback against any team. Uh, but this is a team in the Falcons who really want to run the ball, uh, particularly since Ritter uh, is in there, you know, his second game, um, starting his rookie year. They obviously don't want to drop back and throw it a ton with him. Um But that'll be something to watch for, for sure, Uh, because Brandon Stevens has played some outside corner this year. Um, I still don't think that's his best fit. I I still think he's he's a safety or maybe even a little bit of a hybrid guy. But I don't know that, you know, his best fit is out there at outside corner. But they're at a point where, you know, it kind of is what it is. So you'll have to keep an eye on that. And then, you know, like Denard always points out to me, anytime that you have guys who've got to step in, then you've always got to kind of be alert for communication issues because now you've got guys who, yeah, Stevens has played this year for sure. But, you know, w- since Peters got healthy and, and Marlin has been healthy most of the year too, that playing time has been kind of inconsistent. And so guys get used to working together. When you're a corner on the side of the field and there's a safety who primarily plays to that, your same side of the field, you guys get used to working together and get used to communicating and kind of seeing things um, you know, in a similar way. Well, now, you know, if it's Stevens who takes over for Peters on that, that side of the field, just typically Chuck's side of the field. Okay. Well now we got to get our communication together and, and there can be, you know, some issues uh, because we haven't worked together as much in a while. Um, so that's something to look forward to. Um, you know, I should have, I should have thrown in Tyler Hulley before I, before I go to Chris, let me, let me get you on that too, Carrie, because, you know, Tyler popped up on the injury report with a, a shoulder, um, that's got to be maybe even a little bit more concerning uh, than the other two guys. Yeah. Let me get your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I mean that's it's super concerning because you're on a short week by a day. Um, you know, you have a guy that you know we were talking about this before, and a, a guy that uh, you know, as the normal backup, is not getting a lot of first team reps as is, and so when you think about trying to prepare a quarterback to come in and make a start when he's not the normal starter. It's like all hands on deck during the week. You're trying to get this guy every rep you can get, you know, simulate as much as you can with the concussion situation he was facing. He wasn't able to do that last week. Now he's got the shoulder thing that's putting this weekend in jeopardy as far as preparing. So even if he's able to get out there and play on Sunday, yeah, he's the best option uh, you know, it you know, assuming Lamar isn't ready, but how much practice time does he lose? How you know how how far behind the eight ball is he for another week, um, you know, going into this game. So definitely concerned about that man. So hopefully he can um, you know, they can get him healthy and and get him practicing as soon as possible so he can get a couple days uh, you know, under his belt. Uh, before this game on Saturday but it is definitely super super concerning
0: so Chris I'll come to you on those same three guys Um, Tyler Huntley Calais Campbell Marcus Peters sort of your level of concern and maybe you know what you think um, might happen in terms of guys who step in 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 those roles. well assuming that Calais and Peters don't play hopefully you know um, Tyler plays but Um, assuming those guys don't go, people who might step into those roles.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of unfamiliar territory because for the last few seasons, it's, you know, the the interior defensive line hasn't been the deepest group. And now it's, you know, we don't have to, the sky isn't falling because Calais is, is, you know, potentially going to miss a game you know, there are young guys there who can step in and, and you know, fill the, fill the role in pretty well. You know, you got uh, Broderick Washington, who has, to me, he's been, you know, one of the brightest spots on his team um, on the defensive line. He's, he's yeah. played really well this season. And, uh, you know, of course, you got uh Abike, and you got Travis Jones on the inside and, and even Brent Urban, you know, Brent Urban, he's not gonna you look at his stats and it's not gonna be like, you know, eye popping or sexy, but you watch the plays that that he's in and he's doing a lot of dirty work. He's doing a lot of the the unsung hero stuff where you don't get the shine. And uh, um, you know, I, I think he's he's been valuable for this team because he's the only other guy there on the roster that has that kind of length that Calais has. So obviously it's not a Talent for talent replacement, but as far as the length and the size, he kind of offers that in that that backup role, where the other guys on the, on the roster they don't have those you know that those physical traits that that Brent Urban has. So um, I, I think they'll be fine in that department. Um, as far as cornerback, uh, I mean, it was a little shaky even with Marcus Peters. So. You know, now you got Brandon Stevens, who looks like he's going to be the guy up. Um, Kyle Hamilton played, a, you know, played some in the slot uh, against the Browns. So, you know, he he's going to be a guy who will probably be in coverage more in the slot. Um, Pepe, who's been inactive, he'll probably be up. And, uh, you know, they got Seymour, who's been in special teams, ace for them. Uh, he, he might get some looks. Uh, hopefully not. <laughs> because then that means somebody is either playing poorly or got hurt. So hopefully we don't get to to see more. But, um, yeah, that was a, a, a bit more concerning. But, you know, hopefully these young dudes can rise to the occasion because um, I know Brandon Stevens, he gets a, a lot of hate, but I think he's a guy that's still learning the position. And a lot of those plays where he's beat, he's, like, just beat. Yeah, It's not like he's flat yeah. out. Getting his ass whooped, and he's has no clue where the receiver is or where the ball is. I, I think a lot of those plays, when you watch them, he's he's right there. He's just not making those plays yet. And I think the more reps that he gets, the more on the job training he gets, the better he'll be. And because those close ones, those will be passes defended. You know, as well, that's what you hope the progression will be. So I, I have faith in him, um, and you know Pepe. You know he's just a, a young guy. You know, got a few bumps and here and there, but I think I think Pepe will be fine. You know, and like I said with Stevens, you know, the more reps, the more on-the-job training they get. It, to me, like that's what you want. You want these guys to to get in these reps and. You know, especially in a game like this where they won't be going up against Jalen Waddle or Tyreek Hill, you know, not not to, you know, dump on the on the Falcons, but they don't they're not known for having the best wide receiver core. So, in a game like this, uh, I think it's an ideal spot where if you're gonna have one of your starting cornerbacks missing, this would be the game that you'll want it to happen for. Um, and as far as Tyler, Tyler's concerned, um, hopefully he can play. He was limited today with that shoulder injury. Um I I hope he can play. I hope he he looks more like himself and he's comfortable cuz uh against the Browns it, it just seemed like he was everything was sped up in his head. And I don't know if that had to do with the the concussion that he had or, you know, playing not to get hurt. But um, it, it just he didn't look like himself. It, it looked like everything was just going faster, like way faster than, you know, than it actually was. So um, hopefully Tyler's all right. And uh, he'll be able to, you know, look more like the Tyler Huntley that we know, you know, the guy who protects the ball, the guy who makes good decisions uh, that that Tyler Huntley, because I don't think that one was was the one that was playing against the Browns on Saturday.
0: No, something definitely looked a little bit off and, you know, maybe not having um, the ability to participate fully in practice because he was working his way through the concussion protocol probably played a part. It's hard to imagine it didn't um, before we move away from that. I, I don't know that these guys would factor in uh, in into some of those roles that we're talking about, but just some guys that, you know, who are at least in the mix, you know, and you never know how it shakes out Ardarius, Darius. I don't know. I always forget about our Darius, Uh, (laughs) But, you know, he's he's a guy who could get caught up. You know, you figure Brandon Stevens is probably going to get the first um, first crack at at playing outside. But then, you know, it's a domino effect when you one guy's got to come in and play a role that he hasn't been playing. Well, then now you need depth behind him as well. So maybe one of these other guys is up as a depth type player, not necessarily because they're going to come in and play for Marcus Peters or Kaleidos Campbell. Same thing with like uh, Isaiah Matt not that they're going to maybe come in, but maybe they're going to be depth behind some of the other guys who have to take over uh, those steps. And then Bo Pete keys. I just wanted to say Bo Pete. Uh, I don't know that <laughs> Bo Pete would get called up, but Bo Pete is on the practice squad He's corner from Tulane. Not been in the league that long. So I've been in the league three years. I feel like I should know him from, you know, a draft cycle, but I, it's, it, he, he's at Tulane and I'm, I'm blanking on it. Um, which I feel bad about, but, um, just you know, some other names to kind of keep in in mind in terms of what what could be in play. You just never know. Sometimes you know we we go through this little exercise sometimes this little game of trying to guess who the inactives are going to be and who's going to be active. You know, each week and sometimes it's pretty predictable. There's certain guys that you know. Like this week, I think you know you're probably leaning towards Campbell and Peters uh, being inactive, and then you know you can look at a couple other guys. But then it it kind of surprises you because then there'll be some people who are up, and you're like, man, I. Didn't, didn't think they were going to do that. Uh, so that's why I'm throwing out those names. People may be like, no, nah, those guys aren't in the mix. Hey, I don't know. You just never know from week to week with John right. Harbaugh uh, who, who's going to be in the mix and who isn't. Um, anything else we want to hit on from the Browns game? We've actually kind of touched on the Falcons game a little bit, too. I know we want to get to the topic Kerry brought up. So I just wanted to put a last call out there, you know, final call at the end of the bar. Uh, <laughs> wanted to, to hit on anything else there before we move on to that topic. <laughs> Last no, call, I'm at the barn. Nah, no, no,
1: I think I'm good. We'll, we'll
0: just it. stay. We'll we'll stay down there. We'll stay down there at the end. Hmm. Um, so, Carrie, I'll, I'll let you introduce the topic because I know it's it's related to uh, the wide receiver position for the Ravens, and you know some of the players that they've selected there, and kind of you know how do we how do we view where these guys are at their career in you know at this point in their careers in terms of you know kind of what the production has been versus maybe what the expectations might have been when they were selected
1: i don't know if i'm tracking with that or not but uh <laughs> i'll kick it to you <laughs> yeah man i just it's it, something i got kind of thinking about uh, with the uh, you know, the young receivers that are on this team that they've selected. Uh, and, you know, specifically um, Tylen Wallace, Devin DuVernay, uh, James mm-hmm. Prochet. And I just thought about it. I'm like, I, I went back and looked at the draft classes. So I looked at who was selected around when they were selected. And then I just thought about some of the teams with the reputation around the league. Uh, you know, maybe the Steelers, Packers, or you can extend this to any, um, kind of team in offense right now that, that has things rolling that are playing well that have receivers that are playing well and I, I look at it and I think if Talon Wallace was drafted where he was drafted and if he was drafted by the Steelers you know Devin DuVernay had the same thing these guys were drafted in the exact same spot um, people wouldn't bat an eye in my opinion And honestly, they didn't bat an eye when these guys were drafted by the Ravens. I I didn't hear any um, criticism of any of these picks. And then we kind of get into this situation that we get in uh, that we're in now with the position and these guys haven't been productive. And I hear like complaints about the pick. And to me it just um, highlights how much we don't hold accountable the developmental piece of it. You know, we're not holding these coaches accountable for developing a player, having a developmental plan um, and, you know, going through that whole process before we label somebody a bus or label somebody a miss, you know, it, it, it just—it's mind-boggling to me that we don't really hold these franchises accountable for um, what happens after a player gets drafted. We've seen it time and time again: a guy starts in one place, gets to another situation, and you know, he all of a sudden starts to become productive well that that probably has something to do with how he's being coached how he's being developed what kind of plan do we have in place to um, ensure that this guy is is in a position to produce like i was we were talking before the show and i'm like um demarcus robinson has been a good signing you know he's done some good things for the ravens they should have never been in position to have to sign him when they did. You know, you have young talented guys on this roster that just, you know, have been ill managed. You know, you see a guy like Tyler Wallace, the production he was able to put forth at a young age, at you know, in his career in college, um, Devin Duvernay, we we've talked about this on multiple pies. It, and it's not just the, the, the scheme touch stuff, the stuff in space. He's made contested catches, you know, this year. You know, he's been productive as a as a player. Uh James Prochet is another one. Um, you know, he's a a, a guy that I think um could be used um more effectively. You know, he's a guy that I think has as strong hands, is has has learned to play more forceful. You know, he's not gonna run run by you, run away from you necessarily. But again, what's the developmental plan for these guys? You know, they either don't get reps or don't, when they do get reps, is okay, I'm gonna stick you out here in isolation and not give you much help at all or much leeway to do much of anything. Now you have to, you have to figure out a way to win. What's the developmental plan? Like what, what is leading up to these guys getting into these games and not being able to, to to find this production. And I I don't think it's fair to just put it on them. You know, when we talk about uh, execution, it's not just execution from from the players. You know, it's the the coaches have to put players in position to be able to execute on Sundays. So, you know, when you hear a Greg Roman say, Oh, uh, well, you know, it's just a thing off here or a thing off there, you know, we just gotta execute better. I'm not saying he's blaming it on the players or whatever. I'm sure he's taking accountability for it in that, but I think when people see that. They look at it as like, oh, well, he's pressing the right buttons. Guys are are just not executing. Well, why aren't they executing? <laughs> you know, and, you know, somebody has to be held accountable to that uh, it, because if you have a whole offense full of players and nobody's executing properly enough for them to be able to score more than three points on a, let's let's call it what it is on a pretty bad browns defense i can't go and switch out the 24 25 players i have on offense to get new ones <laughs> this week to to uh, finally find some way to execute you know it it's got to be on the coaches too they have to put these guys in position to execute and if they're not they have to figure out what the problem is what the disconnect is um, you know, that that's kind of overarching, talking about the offense in general. But, you know, I'll jump back to um, receivers. You know, these guys, like we were joking before, like, Talon Wallace wasn't drafted to be this great gunner. Like, that wasn't their <laughs> – it wasn't their vision for him. You know, it was a talented player who, you know, obviously drafted with the thought of we want to be explosives we want the challenge downfield. And so that's not happening. And so it, it's not just on the player. And I, I find it very hard to believe that, um, you know, with the talent they drafted, you know, people don't give a lot of credit to that piece of it, but I, I just find it hard to believe that just, um, Marquise Brown, just Rashad Bateman, just Mark Andrews uh, are able to be productive uh, for this team. I think there's other guys that can be productive for this team as well, but where's the plan? You know, where, where's that development? Where is that? And it's not even just a, um, from a standpoint of, um, Coaching up how to run certain routes, this and that. No, where is the total developmental plan? Okay, where is this guy now? Where does he need to get to? What things does he do good right now that we can kind of leverage in the short term for him to be productive for us in the short term? Okay, what are the things he needs to work on um, in the long term? But, you know, you're drafting these guys. And you're pretty much getting nothing from them uh, as far as receivers. So you know you're you're essentially wasting picks. I'm sure Decosta didn't make any of these picks with the thought that oh man, half of the, half the time these guys aren't even going to be active, or when they are <laughs> active, they're going to be out there just you know running routes not getting open. You know, just it, there just has to be some accountability from that point, and I think it's something that. Um, it's easy to go with a blanket statement to say this team can't draft uh, wide receivers. But, you know, it, it, it takes more of a, a deeper dive to say, OK, well, why isn't this working? And, you know, why aren't these guys getting developed um, to be productive when other players of the same ilk in other places are producing? And even further down in the draft, you know, if you, um, you know, you can j- just pull up a draft and look at it and, and find a, a fifth round receiver, sixth round receiver that has had some success in the lead as, and, you know, it could be something as small as 30 catches here, 40 catches there. Compare that to uh, p- compare their profile coming in to the profile of these guys that the Ravens have. And you tell me, that the profile of the guys that the Ravens have right now aren't stronger than those guys, or at least on, um, you know, a similar playing field. So, you know, that's something that, that, that has to be answered. And I think that's something that um, the Ravens need to really, really take a hard look at that, you know, this off season and find out where that disconnect is and, and fix it because this is not something that, is going to be sustainable, um, you know, going forward regardless of who the coach is, uh, you know, OC, whatever it is, they have to get on the same page. They have to figure this piece of it out because, you know, coming down to the stretch of the season and, you know, you're having to claim a Sammy Watkins, which I mean, they were pretty fortunate to get a guy that knows the system that was Pretty much on a close to vet minimum deal, this late in the season, you know, they were fortunate, sadly, but it it shouldn't even be to the point where this is something they necessarily have to do because they've uh, invested resources in in the position, in draft capital, and you know because of coaching, because of development, these guys aren't aren't panning out at this point.
0: So Chris, I want to come to you next. I, I have some some thoughts of my own on this, but obviously you watch a ton of prospects uh, for the, the draft evaluations that you do every year. and I know you watch these guys that we're talking about in particular because we our little you know chat and whether it's just me, you and Carrie or even that bigger chat, we all talked about these guys and I know that that couldn't have been your projection or your evaluation of these
2: guys like what you've seen to this point. No, definitely not. I didn't have uh, Tylen Wallace being a gunner, uh, (laughs) you know, for the first two years of his NFL career. Um, And uh, DuVernay, you know, same thing with him. Uh, Prior to this year, you know, his his opportunities were, were few and far between. And earlier this season, we saw him getting more looks and converting those small opportunities that he had and and he was maximizing those, those, uh, those reps that he was getting and then towards the middle and well now his end of the season you know it was back to what it was you know in prior years where he was an afterthought there was no attempt to really get him involved there was no attempt to put him in in situations where he can succeed. Like Kerry said, these dudes are just put out there and it's like, all right, win. You know, and you know, that's fine, you know, when you got uh DeAndre Hopkins, you know, when you have an established guy like that. But when you have young wide receivers It has to be a bit different. Now, obviously, you want them to eventually learn how to win by themselves, win their one-on-one situations. I mean, obviously, that's what you want. But when you're not having the opportunities in a game, like, say, let's just use Detroit, for example, and I'm on Ross St. Brown. He's getting opportunities. You know, it's not like, like, you know, Mike said earlier, where you bring Prochet off the bench cold on a huge fourth down play and the ball is going to you. <clears throat> and that's your opportunity. That's it. You know, I'm on Ross St. Brown. You know, he's getting targets like crazy. Now, let's say if you take Amon am Ross St. Brown out of that situation and you plug in Devin DuVernay, how does Devin DuVernay's numbers look? Do they look good? Just as good? Do they look better? Are they slightly worse? I, I don't I don't think Duvernay's a bad wide receiver by any stretch. But it has been disappointing that the Ravens haven't been able to capitalize on a player who has flash talent in more ways than one. You know, he she's shown he's great in space when he has the ball in his hand. He's shown that he can win. You know, in contested catch situations, because he did it multiple times earlier this year, and then you just stop throwing the ball to him, and then you know, then we get to the guys like Proche and Tylen Wallace, and they're getting a handful of opportunities in two seasons. You know, there, there's something wrong with that. Like that's that can't happen. You know, you trust your guys that you have. I didn't say that. They said that. They did say that. So, you see these guys practice. You don't draft a wide receiver. You don't add a wide receiver prior to training camp. So, if you trust your guys so much, why aren't they making it on their way to the field? Why are why can't Demarcus Robinson come in, you know, with no training camp with this team and step right into basically a starting role? And then you see Deshaun Jackson getting snaps over these dudes. And we know Sammy Watkins is going to walk right in and get some snaps too. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. if I see Andy Isabella on the field, I might kick my TV <laughs> because. It, to me, these guys haven't shown me that they can't play. And that is the big problem that I have. And, and I think I spoke about this on an earlier episode that we have about Hakeem Butler. Like, I was not a Hakeem Butler fan, but he didn't get to... Like, well, we didn't get to see why he failed. We know that he did fail, but we don't see why. And I think that's the part that bugs me the most when it comes to Prochet and Tylan Wallace is that we don't see the why. Like, why haven't they been able to live up to this? Because there could be many factors, you know. They could be doing well in practice. We don't know. There could be an attitude issue. Like, uh, there was an article earlier this season with uh, Brandon Ayuk where he was in Shanahan's doghouse for the first couple of years and he had to, he admitted he needed to learn how to be a pro practicing like a pro, taking care of his body, like a pro, you know, being able to have the coaches trust. So there are many factors that go into it, but it seems like this is a reoccurring theme with the Ravens. And it's something that it, it has to be fixed. I mean, Because at this point, you're just wasting draft picks on wide receivers. If, you know, you're drafting them and you're letting contracts run out and you never renew them because the guys don't do anything or you have a Hollywood situation where, yeah, he's getting his numbers, but he's not having fun in this offense, you know, and – you you brought it up earlier today mike where it looks like the defensive side of the ball is having fun but the offensive side isn't no joy no joy (laughs) no joy and i think that was the big that's been the big difference since 2019 is you don't see that the joy that that you saw in that magical mvp season and um you know it Hopefully they can change it. I think they have the coaches there because Keith Williams is, you know, a renowned uh, wide receiver coach. So if he's there and he can teach, then is it the scheme? Is it the, you know, the coaches? I mean, I, I'm not, I don't have the correct answer. I'm. I could say what I think. I think it's the scheme, but we can throw the, you know, Greg Roman scheme out and then we could just look at the organization as a whole. And this has been an organizational failure for years as far as developing young talent. And it kind of makes projecting uh, prospects uh, a bit difficult when it comes to the Ravens because you can like a player all you want. But then in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, but how are they going to bring this guy along? You know, we, we see offenses where they, like Cooper Cup, for example. Cooper Cup is put in positions to win. Now, that's not taken away from his, the talent that he has, the football IQ, the physical ability that he has. I'm not taking any of that away from him. But Sean McVay... Uses him the best way that he can on the field, and I just feel like the Ravens don't do that for their guys.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to this for me. <laughs> so many different angles that I think I could talk about this from. Um, I want to start with the one that that you you mentioned there, though, because uh, I Chris, because I just want to get that one out there off the top. Um, Because I I think players probably think about it this way, too, is, you know, it starts with them. They're the first person that's responsible for their development, even before the coach. Right. So like you said, there could be other things, other factors going on that we're just not privy to. We don't have access to. We don't know about um, attitude stuff. We don't know about personality stuff. We don't know about, you know, proper training, proper diet, taking care of your body studying your playbook we don't know about any of that stuff right um so that obviously is a factor and and the player has to be accountable for that as part of their development so i just want to put that one off first at the top because i think it's very important but i also want to set it aside because we don't know so it's hard to talk about an unknown what we do know a couple things we do know so those are things i want to talk about um you mentioned some of this both of you guys mentioned some of this Uh, in terms of the plan, right, the developmental plan. Obviously, you're going to have multiple packages, right, in terms of – we're just talking about the pass plays right now because we're talking about wide receivers. Obviously, they're in on run plays too, but we're focusing on the pass plays. So you're going to have multiple packages, right, with with various guys in on each one of those packages. Now, it's very difficult to understand, and you hit on this point, you both did, how – you have these packages built all throughout your offseason, all throughout your training camp. And then in the final preseason game, a guy comes in and now he overtakes one or two of the other guys in these packages. And then later on, midseason, a guy who comes in off the street overtakes one or two of these guys in these packages. You know what I mean? To me, that goes to the plan. That's part of the developmental plan is hey, we have certain packages where we want you to be on the field. Because in certain concepts, we want you to run uh, this particular route within this concept. But now, no, wait, you know what? No, this, this guy, DeMarcus is coming in. He's now going to be in that package. He's now going to run that route. Right? Oh, no, you know what? DJx is here now. He's going to be in that package. He's going to run that route now. So there's a, I, I can continue to go on a couple different angles with this, but the one word that kept coming to mind when I was listening to both of you guys, and Chris, you kind of touched on it there at the end when you talk about organizational failure, it's an indictment. It's an indictment. No matter how you look at it, it's an indictment. Either it's an indictment from an evaluation standpoint you misevaluated these guys, they're not as good as you thought they were, or it's an indictment from a coaching standpoint they are as good as we thought they were, but they're not being developed properly. Either way, <laughs> it's an indictment, right? Again, Setting aside the player accountability part, that's why I started that first. That, that's got to be a factor in this, but like I said, we don't know, so it's really hard to talk about. So, setting that aside, that only leaves either we've misevaluated them in the scouting process, or we've improperly developed them. That's it, right? Aside from the player, account- uh, player accountability part of it, those factors, that's it. So, either way, It's an indictment. And so if it's an indictment from a scouting standpoint, then, okay, yeah, you've got to address that. You've got to look at your process and say, what did we miss here? What did we get wrong here? Right? And you go to work on that and you try to make that better. Uh, I don't believe that's where it is, personally. I believe it's a little bit more on the coaching side of it, a little bit more on the scheme side of it, per se. Um, Like Chris said, where there's opportunity to give these guys there, – there's, there's – because I don't want to use it more than twice. Uh, you, you have a chance to give these guys not just a different number of opportunities, but the quality of opportunity. Now, this is going to be bad because I'm going to bring up a person and people are going to say, well, that guy just was a bum. He couldn't play. Brashad Perriman. I don't think Brashad is a bum, number one. But <laughs> I made this argument way back then. This is actually how I got hooked up with Ken Cusick because I was charting some of uh, his routes – Uh, when he was really struggling early on and shared it with Ken. He's like, I want you to come on the show and talk about this. You know, he's all into like nerdy charting projects and stuff. But that's how we first connected. But my thing was, look at the quality of opportunities for Brashad Perry. Look what they're using him to do. Everything's deep down the field. Everything's vertical down the field. Can we get some routes underneath where he's moving away from defenders. He was another guy, different different body type than DuVernay, but another guy who was linear. Not a big change of direction guy, right? Very fast in a straight line. So to me, if you have a guy like that, and you know that um, hard breaks, you know, those 90 degree type breaks or breaking where you're coming back to the ball are going to be difficult for him because he doesn't have you know, the most fluid hips in the world and the the best change of direction in the world. Well, let's get him on some routes where he's running away from people that are not only vertical. You can go across the field laterally and run away from people. (laughs) You know what I mean? Slant, break in at that angle, run away from people. Let's get him the ball in some of those situations. And then I think it was, um, I'm blanking on his name, but you guys will know, the guy who does uh, reception perception, Matt Harmon. Even he talked about it at one point, and it was broader than Brashad Perriman. He was just kind of making a broader point about how this kind of speaks to Cooper Cup. Just moving wide receivers around, getting them in the slot as opposed to outside all the time, or getting them in motion, right? So they're motioning into the formation or they're motioning out of the formation and then run their route. Different things that you can do other than lining them up from a static on-the-ball position where people can just line up in front of them and get their hands on them. That was another thing about Rashad. Not very good getting off press, right, particularly early. So why are we going to put him at an X alignment where he's literally on the ball where a guy can just get his hands on him and jam? How about we get him off the ball? How about we get him in motion before the snap? We do some things to improve the quality of his opportunities because that's another part of it. So you can talk about the two parts of that. There's the number of opportunities, which we've talked about, where guys just aren't getting snaps. But then there's also the quality of your opportunity. Kind of to that crochet play. Well, if that's my one opportunity or my one of, one of my two opportunities in the game, uh, it's not a very high quality opportunity <laughs> in that in that particular situation. Uh, can I get some different, uh, you know, different quality in terms of the opportunities? Where you know we talk about the easy button a lot with this offense. Like you know, they don't really have a lot of easy buttons. Well, it's not because it's not because they don't have the easy buttons. They don't use the easy buttons. They're there. They run the same routes that everybody else runs. They run the same concepts that everybody else runs. You know, there's no, there's no magical, you know, bullet to this with the passing game. But you, you look, and I always point to Andy Reid, and I know that's unfair because he's got Patrick Mahomes. But even if you just look at the receivers, right, take, take before Mahomes is throwing the ball and you look at some of the routes that they run and some of the ways that he gets his guys open, he just makes it easy. You know, in some of these situations, it just makes it easy for some of these guys. And I'm like, you know, you can do that in this offense. Variety of offenses do it as well. They even do it some in this offense. But you just like to see them do it more and do it more consistently with different guys. So that plan to me, that's like you say, Chris, you, they went in telling us we trust these guys. That's why we didn't draft a wide receiver. We trust these guys. But then you bring in another guy at the end of train again. You know, now they've had some injuries since then. And so, you know, you get why maybe Djax comes in and Sammy comes in. I get that. But if we trust these guys, then let's trust them with better quality opportunities, not just the number of opportunities. Let's 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 give them some more opportunities just in terms of number. Let's also give them, you know, higher quality opportunities so everything doesn't have to be so damn hard for them. You know what I mean? You Like Kerry talked about, all these isolation routes where it's just you versus another guy one-on-one and you just got to win. That's got to happen sometimes in the NFL. We get that. There's certain situations where that's just how it is. But first and second down, a lot of times you don't have to do that. You don't have to make it that hard in those situations. You can actually create some opportunities for them to get free releases, to be on those runaway type routes where they're moving away from guys Um, to sit down in voids and zones. You can do little things like that to get these guys the balls, and they've done it. But it's like I say all the time with Greg Roman, he does all the things that we complain that he doesn't do, he just doesn't do them enough. (laughs) That's it. He does all of that stuff. If you really go through it, you'll see it. And you might say, oh, I saw it once in that game. I saw it twice in that game. Yeah, he does it all. just doesn't do it as much as you'd like him to do it, unless it's a tight end. (laughs) <laughs> so that's the final thing <laughs> that I wanted to say because we can flip this, right? And we can go back and we can look at Hayden Hurst, first round tight end, and look at Mark Andrews. Was, was he third or fourth round? Third. You know, he's third round, right? So the first rounder, just in terms of pedigree and, and where he was drafted, I think would get a higher number of opportunities and better quality opportunities. And Hurst certainly got some. But Andrews got his, too. He certainly got his. They made sure that that guy got snaps and that he got quality opportunities. And it became clear over time, a pretty short period of time, that he was a better player. He was a better route runner, just had more of a natural feel for running routes, wasn't as robotic as hers. I think Hers has better hands. I think to this day he still has better hands. He's great. Hands. But he was robotic pretty robotic and, and really kind of telegraphed things in some of his route running, and Andrews just has that feel. But he got those opportunities, and he got high-quality opportunities. So I'm like, okay, well, clearly you did that with him. And he was a guy that didn't have the draft capital compared to the guy he was you know, their teammates, but competing against for opportunities. But now these wide receivers, you don't do that. You don't, You don't allow them to get The same kind of opportunities again you know we talked about this a little bit with ozzy you have to kind of look at guys backgrounds roman tight ends coach coached on the o-line he's coaching some other places too but this kind of where he cut his teeth and so i think he views everything through that lens right the run game the passing game everything is is viewed through an offensive line slash tight end lens so as a run game coordinator you probably couldn't get any better than this guy, <laughs> he'd probably be one of the best run game coordinators in the league. But as an offensive play caller, at the offensive coordinator position, you you got to see things through a different lens, a more broad lens. He's got a he's got like a telephoto. He's got one of them real long joints. Where <laughs> you know what I'm saying, where you can really you know like zoom in on something and see the detail. And He does that in the run game. Like Gary said, I mean, you see some of the stuff in the run game, and it's like the level of detail. Um, you know, the thoughtfulness, like you mentioned, Kerry, how everything is accounted for. Everything is accounted for. But then you don't see that in the passing game. And you get it. You get it. Everybody can't major in everything, right? You major in certain things and you minor in other things. But if you're the play caller, you may not necessarily be able to major in everything, but you got to be like a general studies kind of major. You know what I mean? I'm good at a little bit of this and a little bit of that, enough where I can blend it all together and create something cohesive. It can't be so heavily tilted to, to one side of the scale because I'm, I'm really, really good at this, and this is what I know, you know, because then the other, the other part suffers and players don't get developed. And I, I really think that's a big part um, of why these guys haven't developed is because you do have somebody who really majors in sort of one part of the game and really sees it very clearly and, and it has a very clear lens for seeing that part of the game, but not so much for the other part of the game. And, and those guys who, who play in that part, the wide receivers, they suffer as a result of it. So I think that's why you continue to see it. That's why you, 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 you scratch your head and you say, well, okay, how can we bring in one of the best individual developers of wide receiver fundamentals and techniques in Keith Williams but still continue to see the same issues? Cause it's not that it's not that they're not developing the proper fundamentals and techniques. It's the guy who sees them through this lens and is not able to create the kind of opportunity and the kind of plan for them that they need to really demonstrate those techniques and fundamentals that they're learning from Keith Williams. So I don't know. It's tough, man. I, I know we talked about this the other day. I was like, if you could just have two guys, <laughs> if you could have him calling the run plays and somebody else calling the pass plays, <laughs> I think you could have something really, really good. Uh, but, you know, you, you get that kind of during the week in terms of the preparation, obviously they're not calling the plays, but you have a passing game coordinator who's kind of put together that plan. And Then they sit down and they meet and they talk as a staff and say, okay, here's the things we like Here's the things we don't like. We want to call these in this situation. We want to try to, to work this match up, but then you get in the game and it's one guy, calling the plays. So maybe you've prepared all of that stuff for him, but then he gets in the game. He's like, you know what? Let's set that over to the side. <laughs> here's what we're going to call in this situation. And that, that's that got to be frustrating for that coordinator, uh, that passing game coordinator, and for those guys, uh, and for the wide receiver coach. For T, who's probably you know working with these guys and saying, hey, here's what we're trying to put in this week. Here's what we're trying to do. And you get in the game, and it doesn't happen. And, you know, that, that's got to be rough for everybody involved. So, I don't know, but I think you both said it. It's got to be fixed. Whatever yep. it is, it's got to be fixed. Um, and it's, it's come to a head, I think. Every, you know They can talk all they want about it. We don't listen to the outside noise. We don't hear that. We don't pay attention to any of that at all. There's no way you can't hear it. <laughs> it's, right. it it's outside of your facility. Literally right. outside the door.
1: <laughs> on yeah. the ground.
2: and and when you have former players talking about it like Hollywood where he's not even bashing he didn't bash the team or anything or the the organization it looked like it was just he wasn't having fun like he got his thousand yards and his numbers but it just it wasn't fun for him
0: it wasn't fun and if you listen to what he said really carefully they didn't need me hmm that tells he, you everything
2: he wanted to feel like he was a part of it
0: yeah why don't they need you what are you i'm a wide receiver what do you do i go deep i can do a bunch of other things but i also go deep but i'm a wide receiver well why don't they need wide receivers you ask me you, you tell me <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think that that spoke volumes where he said they don't need me to win games i think that tells you that's his way of saying i'm not gonna come out and, and throw this game under the bus but they don't need me. I'm a first-round pick-wide receiver, and if they don't need me, you think they need a fourth- and a sixth-round pick?
1: Hmm. Unless yeah. they're blocking.
0: <laughs> and see, if they that's, ain't blocking,
1: that's, they don't need them. <laughs> and that's super troubling and even more troubling when you think about it from the standpoint of, uh, like, I always say this. Self-scouting is, like, one of the things that, that really falls under the radar, but it's, like, incredibly important with teams that are, you know, trying to win. And, you know, if you have the proper self-scouting and you look at situations coming in and you say, Hey, I have this defense. I have this, this maestro of a run game, um, um, coordinator in, in Roman. And we've won, we've been successful. What I need in order to get to the next level is I need, uh, a pass game that complements that. I need big plays in the passing game. I've tra- uh, you know, my GM has drafted these players to try to add that. And that was my main reason for um, the idea behind the ceiling setters that we do every year. What players on the roster have the potential to change your ceiling? And some of these years, you look at it these drafted receivers are guys that could potentially be ceiling setters. You have to uh, recognize that and you have to find a way to prioritize getting them in the best positions to succeed. Like a, a Demarcus Robinson, this is no shade to him at all. He's had some years in the league. He's done some good things. Um, but where you can't possibly compare him to a guy that you've spent draft capital on as far as what that means for the ceiling of your team. So even if he is further ahead, he should be further ahead. He's got yeah. four or five years of experience in the league. So you know, if he's further ahead. Um, as far as certain things. He's doing things the way you want him to do. Maybe he's blocking. Maybe he's running this route the way you want him to. Green. There's a cap on that. If there wasn't a cap on that, he wouldn't have been cut by the Raiders and available for you to, to sign. There is a, a there may be a cap on some of these guys, a DuVernay or a Tyler Wallace. We don't know that yet. What we know is there's potential there, there is, uh, you know, a potential ceiling there that we've spent all this time scouting these guys, you know, evaluating them, bringing them into the building, uh, seeing how they fit in the offense. And we drafted them. We've invested in them. That starts at the top and should work its way down. It starts with – it shouldn't even – you know – It shouldn't even be on Roman to prioritize because Harbaugh should be prioritizing it. These are the guys that we have to see what we have in and put them in the best positions to succeed. Because if they succeed then the whole team succeeds, if they succeed, then the whole team is more explosive. You know, we're more dangerous. We can win different styles of games if that's the case. But for you to have a a first-round pick, like you just said, a first-round pick and Hollywood Brown say they don't need me, that's a problem.
0: It's an indictment.
1: (laughs) That's a problem. Yeah, maybe maybe we don't need you to, you know, win 10 games and get to the playoffs, you know, playing the way we play, with the run game we have, with Lamar as the head of the run game. Maybe we don't. We need you to win a Super Bowl, though. Yeah. Mm. You know, we we need you um, in a game where we have a turnover or two, and we quickly go down seventeen to nothing, and we need to come back, and we need some competence, and we need some big plays, and we need a guy that can that can you know take a a short gain and make it a big one. We need you for that. So you know you that. It, that's where the disconnect is because clearly DaCosta felt like they needed Marquise Brown, whether the coaching staff <laughs> felt like they needed Marquise Brown all the time. DaCosta certainly felt like they needed him or he wouldn't have took him in the first round. Da Costa you felt like, the same way about Duvernay and some of these other guys. And you saw him in the playoffs.
0: You saw that to your point. You saw they needed him in the playoffs, whether it was the Titans game where they got down or the Titans game that they won. He was the guy in the passing game who was making plays.
1: Yeah.
0: So, you know, he showed that they need. You know what's crazy about Demarcus Robinson? I had not realized this until I looked when we started talking about it. He's on pace to have his best production numbers with the Ravens, which is crazy. When you think about it, coming from an Andy <laughs> Reid <laughs> offense. He's on pace, right? His, his best year there, 45 catches, 466 yards, three touchdowns, right, in 16 games. In 14 games with the Ravens, he's got 44 catches, 419 yards, and one touchdown. So he is on pace to have <laughs> his best production numbers with the Ravens. And nobody would have probably thought about that if they said, okay, I know that you know he was not Tyreek Hill. He was not Travis Kelsey. Wasn't even be Cole Hardman uh, in that Kansas City offense. But if you're telling me he's going to come from that passing game and come to this passing game and put up his best numbers, and he's not there yet he's closed though with three more games to play uh i wouldn't have believed that but again to me that's an indictment the fact that that guy can come in here and those numbers like i said they ain't setting the world on fire but that's that's why receiver three wide receiver four type numbers that he can come in here and leapfrog guys who were here and put up those numbers we talked about this earlier and you look at the routes that he's running and the balls that he's being targeted on and that he's catching these aren't things where he's just like cooking dudes, and you're like, oh no, no, these other guys, they can't do that. You see what he did to that dude? Just not that. These little spot routes and these these little quick screens, you could throw those to anybody. <laughs> you could throw those right. to anybody on this team if you wanted to. So, like you said, there's a disconnect there between the front office and the scouting and the evaluation side of it, and then you know, the coaching side of it because If he can come in there and do that on those kinds of routes, you can't tell me nobody else that's already here couldn't do that on those kinds of routes. You just couldn't because, like I said, these are not things where he's just going out there and just one on one, just shaking a dude up and getting open. This is quick stuff, by and large, quick underneath stuff. So it's rough, man. (laughs) <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> but I think that's a very interesting topic. I'm glad that you, you brought it up and we were able to kind of discuss it and talk about it a little bit. I'd like to see, you know, we get some feedback uh, on it from listeners and maybe people talk about it a little bit on Twitter. I mean, I kind of feel like people already feel that same way <laughs> and share some of the sentiments that we shared, But everybody's just trying to understand why. Like, well, yeah, we all kind of feel it. But why is this happening? And why hasn't it been changed? You know, the thing, this is the thing I wanted, to, I wanted to mention when you mentioned self-scout, because it's something I've always thought about. And I think, I got to think teams do this. I don't know if they publicize it, but I got to think they do it. So self-scouting is very important, critical, like you said, because you can get caught up in season just in week-to-week preparation mode and not realize what you're missing or not realize certain tendencies where, okay, tendency is not in and of itself a bad thing, But if it goes a little bit too far to one end of the spectrum, then it can become a bad thing. And you can get caught up in your week to week preparation and not realize that stuff. So typically it's around the bye week right, where people try to really kind of do a self scout and kind of look at it. But to me, that's good and they do it and sometimes you learn some things. But then I'm always like, but aren't you always going to have a blind spot because you're still in it. Even though you take that week off, you're still in it. Can you be objective? So I've always wondered, couldn't you have somebody on the outside, a retired coach, somebody who's not trying to get back in the game, somebody you trust, you got a relationship. Lord knows, Harbaugh knows a bunch of old coaches. Somebody you have a relationship with, but you ain't got to worry about you know, leaking stuff outside your building, sign all the NDAs, do all the stuff that you got to do. Say, hey, man, come in and, and evaluate this for us and give us your objective opinion on what you see happening here, what you think we could be doing differently where do you think, you know, we're, we're maybe a little bit too predictable or we're not creating opportunities for certain players? I think you would get something different. Somebody coming in from an outside perspective, particularly if their job doesn't hinge on it. You know what I mean? Like if they're like super, super negative and critical, get your ass out of here. You know, if it's not that right, right where they can come in and say, hey, you, this is what you brought me here to do. So they can come in and just be honest about what they see i think that could be really valuable especially like i said if it's somebody that you trust somebody who you know knows ball and it's just going to come in and give you an objective opinion uh because i think sometimes you see, we all have those blind spots when you're in something no matter how much you say hey we're going to stop and we're going to really take a step back and evaluate what we're doing that's helpful and you should definitely do that but you're still in it and sometimes i think you just got to get somebody who's not in it because they just see things differently They just see things that you don't see uh, because they're not in it. So sometimes they'll ask questions. We had this at my job where it was a guy who came in to be a manager and he had never worked in this field that I work in. I'm in government contracting. He never worked in government contracting. Uh, He had, but he had been like in a different part of it, like the financial office part of it or the human resources sort of part of it. So when he first came in, people were like, well, how is he going to be a manager here? He didn't know anything about this field. He doesn't know anything about what we do. Okay, yeah, he didn't have the technical knowledge of it, but he was able to ask some questions that none of us asked because we've been in it. So he's looking at things from a very basic, like, why do you do that? Why do you do that that way? Our thing is, well, this is what we do. You know, we, we do it. We've always done it this way. This is why we do it. No, but why? Tell me why. We never thought about that because it's just it's just assumed <laughs> it's just what you do. So sometimes I think it could be helpful to have that outside perspective come in. Um, I know they got all the trust stuffed, you know, trust and not stuff leaking out and stuff like that. But I, you can't tell me that they can't figure that out. Shit, you just had Willie Taggart. Willie ain't doing nothing. Say Willie. <laughs> <laughs> How about we, we put you on the payroll for a couple of weeks and you evaluate this thing? and you give us some feedback. Maybe you're not going to make any drastic changes in the season with it, even though I think kind of wasting your money if you don't react to it in some kind of way. But it can at least give you something to maybe work towards in the off season, where you say, man, because they do that in the offseason too. But again, it's the same coaches. It's your guys who go back and reevaluate everything. It's useful because I think you definitely learn from it. But I would also like to have that independent. You know, it's like you have an independent auditor come in and say, here's what we see. You did your own audit. That's cool. Like the police department, right? Auditing themselves. Great. Have somebody else come in. Here's what we see. And you can kind of marry those things up. And you might see some overlap in some areas. And then some other areas, the outside person may say, hey, we saw all of this. And you might, man, we we didn't see any of that. And then, you know, you can make a decision at that point how much uh, value you have on that. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not volunteering for anything, but I just think it would be cool <laughs> uh, if, if maybe they did something like that. Uh, and maybe they do. Like I said, you never know. But um, something to consider if they don't, because when you're trying to solve a problem like this, I think you've got to consider all, you know, all the possible ways you can think of to try to solve it. Um, you can get bogged down with all the in-house stuff and then say, hey, maybe it's as simple as having somebody who's not in the house come and look and give us their perspective on what we're doing and how come, because you could just, just like we're doing, somebody could just say, hey, how come that's not, how come that's not Prochet running that route? How come that's not Tylen Wallace for it? Why, tell, tell me why he doesn't, you, there was a whole game that he was active for, he didn't run that route one time. Those was the reasoning behind that? And they might have one. Oh, well, he didn't, you know, understand this, or we did it in practice, and he didn't do this right. Okay. Then you can have a discussion about that. Just something as basic as that. He was active the whole game. He never ran that route. Why?
1: Yeah, and 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 to me, it's one of those things too. Is like just be mindful of of where you're trying to get to. You know, this team is a team that you know they high they have high ambitions, but. Sometimes offensively with who they're putting out there, it doesn't seem like they, they play to that. Um, You know, just, just be mindful of the ambitions that you have. And like, yeah, I mean, I get it. I'm not saying that put a guy out there when he's not ready, but you know, sometimes there may be a guy that, Hey man, I just really like the way this guy runs this route or, you know, I, I, I like what he does in practice or you know, I like this and I like that, but hey, I got this guy behind him that, that 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 really should be on equal footing with him. That if he hits, we're talking about a different gear. We're talking about a different ceiling to this player. And you know, at the end of the day, it's going to make all of our jobs easier if this guy hits. So you know, let me uh, lean in on that. Let me keep that in mind and, you know, be working towards ramping these guys up so that when we get to the playoffs, this guy is ready to contribute. At at this point, would any of us be um, um, banking on any of these young guys um, at receiver being able to contribute in a playoff game? I mean, talent-wise, yeah, we feel like they can do it, but, I mean – it's hard enough to ask a guy to just come off cold and, and, and just, you know, make a couple of plays in a regular season game. And then we get to the playoffs and, and you know, you have guys that either haven't gotten the reps all year. So, you know, you can't really functionally ask them to do it. Or you got guys that have been getting the reps, but have clear um, caps on what they can do from a ceiling standpoint. So it's like, how many different years are we gonna keep rolling out the the Marcus Robinsons, the Willie Sneeze of the past, the, you know, those kind of guys. And no disrespect to any of those guys because I think they're they're good players. But if your goal is to win a championship, you need a higher ceiling than that. You know, you need to be aiming higher. So clearly they drafted those guys with that in mind to aim higher and you know, it's not panning out. And, again, I think we need to ask those questions as to why that's happening. And it's not just on a player specifically. Uh, you know, Chris, you brought up uh, Hakeem Butler. He didn't pan out in the league. We don't know all the answers, but I guarantee you it wasn't just on him. Now, there's other people that had a hand in that, Who, you know, whether that's the people that drafted him, the people that were coaching him, um, you know, position coaches. All of that, all of that plays a part, you know, the scheme, the environment, all of those things, you know, it's, it's easy to – that if a player doesn't play well and he doesn't pan out, it's easy to just dump it all on that guy because, you know, he's not seen and not heard once he's out of the league. But, you know, it's a lot of people that that, that have – that play their part in these players in um, a development that that need to kind of take onus of um, the production that does come or doesn't come. Yeah,
0: yeah and I'd say take a, take a look at the other side of the ball too because I think Mike McDonald is something that he did in Michigan, something his players talked about there, and it's something he said he would do coming here. He talks about different access points for different players. He wants to have as many players – Having access to playing time as possible. Right. So we've seen guys who couldn't get on the field last year get on the field. Yeah. In his defense. Now you can, you can, you know, have a discussion about, okay, yeah, but they didn't play this much or it was only one game or that game. Hey, it's more than zero.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's more than zero. So I think he's somebody that kind of really believes in that. It's like, hey, if they're on the team, they're here because we believe in them. We think that they can contribute and help this team win. So they need to get on the field. And, you know, I think he's he's done that. I I counted this up the other day. I don't think I wrote it down, though. I would, But it's, it's not a huge difference. But I want to say it was like four or five player difference between the defense and offense just in terms of how many players on defense have played defensive snap this year versus how many players on offense have played an offensive snap. Now you got to factor injuries into that. I know that because they had issues with outside linebackers. So sometimes it gets skewed that way because you got more people playing because you got injuries. Same thing on offense. So you got to factor that in too. But I think just his mentality of I want to get more guys access to playing time. I want to get as many guys access to playing time as possible. And then when guys get those opportunities, then, you know, hopefully you're, you're putting them in, in good Situations with those opportunities, because that's that's the other part of it. And then you know you see where it goes, you know. So guys like our Darius Washington, who we couldn't (laughs) wink winked in one on the field uh, last year, he's got to play in a couple of games. I mean, I know Armour Davis kind of got the quick hook, and then he got put on IR, but he got in games early. I mean, he got in games real early. Pepe has gotten in games. Um, Brandon Stevens obviously has gotten in games, and you know they've had a variety of guys. Uh, on the defensive line uh, getting games. So, you know, sometimes, you know, I know you're on one side of the ball, but you can take a page, right? You're on the same team. You can look and say, hey, look, they're finding ways to get all these different access points for guys to get on the field and play. Uh, Maybe we can do something like that over here on our side of the ball. So I just think that a lot of things will probably change if they do move on from Greg Roman, I think there'd be a lot of things where we'd see like, Oh, well, look, they're doing this now. Oh, look, now they're doing that. (laughs) I just, I just get the feeling that he, he has a a, a certain way that he wants to do things and certain guys, he wants to do certain things. And I I assume that's probably true for all play callers to some extent, but I just wonder if we might see some things kind of look a little bit different, um, as you would expect with a different guy, but I mean, just some of like the really basic stuff where we're like, "How come this guy's playing more now?" And, and look at the kind of routes he's running. Look at these opportunities. This is this is this is the easy button kind of stuff that we were talking about. It kind of just feel like you might see a little bit more of that with a different yeah. guy there, but we'll see.
2: And it, and this it feels different in other years. Like um, it, it just it feels like there's like uh angst within not only the fans but the players too. Fans, it, it, damn sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> but um, I, I think I think they, they feel that from the players too. Um and and I, I do believe that there there will be changes to come. Uh what those changes are, I, I obviously don't know, but we've seen Eric DaCosta where he sees a glaring problem and he tries to go above and beyond to fix it. Yeah. Where where no matter where the deficiency is on the on the roster, whether it's offensive or defensive, he tries to attack that and try to have contingency plans. And now, you know, we're back at it again. Um, you know, going into the 2023 season. So, it's going to be fun to see how how they maneuver through this issue and uh, what what buttons they want to push in order to to, you know, fix the the wide receiver room.
0: I could definitely see him doing that because, again, he's grown up his whole scouting life. He's grown up in this organization and he's grown up under Ozzy. You remember in 2018, Ozzie cleaned house in that wide receiver room. Remember when he brought in uh, Crabtree and John Brown and Willis? <laughs> he, the year before, just all them dudes that was in there. I'm not saying whether that turned out or not. I'm just saying his his thing was, hey, we're clean slating this bad boy, and we're we're bringing in a whole new crew uh, of guys in here. Uh, tried to bring in Ryan Grant. Uh,
2: <laughs> oh lord, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that didn't that didn't work out. But yeah, he just it was it was kind of like a similar thing where the production hadn't been really good in the group, um, you know, in the previous year or maybe previous year or two. And he just said, hey, you know what? It's time for wholesale changes in this piece. And, um, you know, that kind of played out the way it played out. But he's not he wasn't he wasn't afraid of making that kind of thing. And I think, you know, obviously, DaCosta was there to see that and was part of those discussions and and kind of the thought process about, you know, behind why. And I think he he does share. He's different, obviously, than Ozzy. But I think you see some of his approaches to solving different problems. He uses a similar approach in terms of what he learned uh, from Ozzie. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I don't. Some of these guys, where they're at, in terms of just contractually, I mean, they get not, can't just get rid of them. Uh, <laughs> but I would not be surprised if you're like, man, they're they're, they're bringing in kind of like they did with all the undrafted wide receivers this year. I think that was that was one of his approaches. It's like, hey, we're just going to bring in a bunch of undrafted dudes. Uh, and then see if we can get somebody to kind of compete that way um, instead of necessarily in, in, investing in draft capital. So I think when you look at it, it's like he's, he's trying. He's looking at these different ways to try to approach the problem. All right, let me take more shots at let me Let me do it with higher picks. Let's try that. Okay, that didn't work out? All right, let's bring in a bunch of undrafted guys. Okay, let's see how that works out. Well, that didn't work out? All right, let's bring in some free agents. Now, it's going to be select free agents because people don't want to come here. Uh, because of the office, <laughs> so it's going to be select guys. Yeah. But still, we'll bring in who we can bring in, and let's, let's see how that works. So I think he's tried different approaches to try to solve the problem, and they just haven't found a, a real you know, sustainable solution yet. So I think you're right, Chris. I think he'll continue to try, because I don't think he's just going to cut bait on it. I think he's like, yeah, it's got to get better. We're just trying to figure out the way to make it better.
1: That's a good one.
0: Let's say, yeah, I think they will. I think they will. I think they understand. I mean, look, the guy they're working for, he certainly understands. I think Bishotti certainly understands that. If anybody understands uh, personnel and staffing, he's a guy who made all his money in the human resources business. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. right. I think he definitely understands it. And he probably has his own thoughts about maybe some different ways uh, to try to approach the problem and solve the problem. So, yeah, I think that they will. the coaching part, yeah, that that's gonna that's gonna come down, I think, in some ways to to John Harbaugh, and then whether that becomes like a power struggle, where Harbaugh is like, Nah, you know, I'm loyal to my assistant, where maybe the GM and the owner are like, mm, I think it's time for a change there.
2: So yeah, go be go be loyal at, at Bowling Green or some program like that.
0: Yeah. And I
2: don't know, I don't know that he would do that.
0: <laughs> so I don't think that he would he would be that loyal. I think he'd be like, you know, I got a pretty good gig going here. Uh particularly if they, they have a way to work out getting Lamar here long term. He certainly understands about hitching his wagon to Lamar. Lamar has saved his job at least once. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, he, he might save it again. <laughs> but he's like, Hey, you you you're gonna have to play ball now, okay? If I if, if I'm gonna be bailing you out you got to at least get some people in here, you know, that can, that can help this office go, uh, you know, more consistently. Obviously it's gone in the past. We know that, but you know, we need to, we need to continue to, to evolve and adjust and not, uh, not just kind of rest on our laurels and say, well, Hey, this is what we really are good at. Let's just kind of stay here. That's good that you have that. It's always good to kind of have something to hang your hat on, but you know, you gotta, you gotta continue to try to chase, being good in a bunch of different areas, you know, if you can, uh, obviously you want to be good not just in the running game but in the passing game. So you got to continue to chase that. Uh, so yeah, I think they will. It's just like you said, it'll be interesting to see how they go about it. You know, as you get into the off season, the draft, free agency, and all of that. See, okay, well, how are they how are they gonna approach it this year? So looking forward to that. They're gonna have a little bit more money, perhaps this year. Depends on what happens with some of these deals with like Lamar and Roquan, but. Uh, you know, could, could be a little bit more cap space available, depending on what they do there.
1: going to be another important one. A hard as they can be your man and all, but y'all both can't be unemployed. <laughs> send a, you know, make sure you get a good Christmas card, maybe send them an edible arrangement or something, but man, <laughs> I am about to lose my good job here.
0: No, you know, Denard made that point too yesterday. He was like, maybe he didn't want to have two first-year coordinators because he said, you know, he might have wanted to part ways with both of them dudes last year but maybe he was concerned yeah, about having two, two first-year coordinators. Uh, if you if you do truly care about Lamar, you're thinking about him going into his contract year with a first-year coordinator, um, you know, sometimes that's good. Sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle and a guy really takes off. Other times it can hurt you because you're trying to learn this new system. You're like, God damn, I'm in contract year. I'm trying to learn this new stuff. And, you know, that's not going to put me in the best position to succeed. So some of that could have been, hey, let's – Let's keep him in something that he knows. Uh, obviously, that's good for him. Obviously, that's good for the rest of the offense. You know, the contractual part. If if you believe that, you know, there was any kind of lookout for him on that level, I'm not sure. I believe that. <laughs> but if you want to be optimistic about it, uh, you could, you could, you could maybe trick yourself into looking at it that way but yeah i don't know i don't know yeah i think you do have to kind of think maybe there was something there last year because there was a lot of smoke about both guys being gone and it ended up only being one guy and so yeah maybe there was something to you know not having two new guys at the same time but it does really feel like we've kind of come to the end of the road at this point so regardless of all the stuff that they say now i i would i would i'm at a point now and as you guys know i'm a i'm a i'm a pretty pro Giro guy. guy. Uh, I'm at a point now where I'd be surprised if he's back next year. I think it's just kind of reached that point where it's like, like they said, with Wink, a mutual party in other ways might be in order. Yeah. Unless he wants to stay on and be the run game, coordinator. Hey, sign me up for that. Yeah, like, you know, when I asked Denard that, he was like, hell no, he won't do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, you're probably right because uh, they tried that with Marty, remember? They tried to yep. make it- I think game coordinator and Marty was like, nah, I'm good. So it's got to be hard to go from being the play caller to kind of taking that step down. Um, so we'll see where it goes. Anyway, hey, we got three games, three games. And like I said, an opportunity to win this division. So that's kind of got to be where the focus is right now. I mean, we like to talk about all these things because it's, it's fun and it's interesting to do on the podcast. But that's, that's where my head is at, is like, hey, get this Atlanta game. First and foremost, get who's next. <laughs> I don't even know who's next after them, uh, but I know Cincinnati's last. Um, so I'm like, you know, just take these things one at a time. Try to get these wins, and uh, you know, you're you're right there, man. You're right there. it have been nice to still be in the lead in the division, but you know that is what it is. You still got a chance to go chase it. And like I said, it's probably gonna come down to that last game, and that's what that's that's what this is about, right? Best against best, good on good, you know, and for for the the. A division, so I think we're gonna get a chance to see it, sir. Yep. Well, hey, I think this was a meaty one. It was super meaty one. This thing's gonna click in right about two hours. So hey, look, y'all, this carry y'all through Christmas, New Year's, and <laughs> other stuff. <laughs> as usual, like, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend, share everywhere. Check us out on TikTok. Uh, you know, at Deep Cover Pod, you know the Twitter account at Deep Cover Pod. Continue to check in with Kerry with his DFS lineups um, and the sprinkle plays every week. Uh, we're we're at a point. This is shameless for me and my uh, my fantasy season. One league doing okay in the playoffs. Other league in the losers bracket. Kind of tough, but <laughs> <laughs> that's where it is. Uh, but that's a good thing about DFS right none of that matters right you can continue to play and and build lineups and win money and uh it doesn't matter you know what what was going on uh season long i will say the one uh that i'm i'm in um the playoffs in, that was the one where i used your tears to draft the one where i like uh was trying to draft while we were doing a podcast that didn't it didn't go well. In that oh. <laughs> but the other one where I had time to like pull everything out, pull all the sheets out and like prepare, I was, I, you know, Hey, turned out okay in that league. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes, but yeah, definitely tap in with all the carries fantasy content. Cause as you can see, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, not just a member. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a card carrying like, Hey, this, this stuff works, man. <laughs> Cause I am terrible in season. Fantasy. So if he can get me into the playoffs, I'm telling you, Uh, this man can do wonders for anybody. So (laughs) definitely need to tap in with that. Um, But until next time, man, we're going to get out of here. I guess we probably won't do another one of these before Christmas. So, you know, Merry Christmas to everybody. If that's what you celebrate, happy Mm -hmm. holidays. If you celebrate something else, Um, you know, hope everybody gets a chance to, to get away from, from work or, and spend some time with their family and some friends and, um, you know, just take it easy out there, enjoy each other's company, and uh, you know, don't take things so seriously, man. It's OK to be at the end of the bar. It's not that big of a deal.) <laughs> <laughs> All right, we out of here. Peace. Peace.